podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. My name is John Mark Duro. I'm the worship and community pastor here at Shades Valley, and I am here with my good friend Jonathan Hafes, and then via Zoom, we have Brad Brown. What's up, guys? Hello from my house. As the Apostle Paul said, um, although I cannot be present with you bodily, I am glad to be present with you through Zoom. So, Yes, unfortunately, Brad is not able to join us in the studio today, but that's okay. He's showing his extreme dedication by being here via Zoom anyway. Yes, so while I'm not in the studio, I can see both Jonathan and John Mark's beautiful face. Yes, and, and I'm demonstrating my extreme uh, commitment to the Shades Midweek podcast because, for those of you who don't know, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. It's about, what, 2 o'clock right now? Mm-hmm. And the, the Atlanta Braves, the only team in all of sports that I pay any attention to at all, uh, are playing in the first game of the NLDS, the National League Division Series, and it started at 1 o'clock. And so the game is on on my phone right here. So if I sound really distracted through this episode or if I get upset at certain points, like I'm upset right now because we're losing, um, that, that, that's why. Jonathan, what sport is that again? It is the American sport, the John Mark. Bra- <laughs> it is the American sport. It's, like what are- <laughs> it's called baseball. I'm just kidding. I know. What, look, what, look, look, I'm, I am here anyway. I mean, like, if this was what, the Iron Bowl, would you be here recording no. Shades? What are, what are the Atlanta Braves' chances of winning? How do you feel about everything so far? Winning this series or winning the World like, Series? Like, going all the way. Not great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have, we have, we've got a good chance of winning this series. Uh, we, we're playing the Marlins. Well, we should, if we they're should win. anything like the Atlanta Falcons, Stop I would it. not Stop be confident. It. Stop it. Stop uh, it. Donate. We're not going to go there. They just lost again last night a, to the Packers. This is going to be a podcast on suffering, <laughs> unjust suffering, if we start talking yeah. about that. And let's not talk about our Auburn Tigers either, who Brad and I root for. Mm. It's just sad. It was a rough yes. weekend for you guys. Yes. It's okay. It's okay. The Lord still loves you. Well, we have a lot of stuff going on <laughs> here at Shades Valley. Real quick, I just wanted to make an announcement coming up on Saturday, October 17th, we have the Women's Worship Night in the parking lot. This is an awesome event uh, in lieu of our women's retreat uh, not happening this year. Uh, The women's leadership thought it would be great to have a worship night, and so we're going to have worship, prayer. We're going to have a speaker that, that evening. Please get there at 5.30, bring... Uh, your your lawn chairs, blankets, your own dinner. You can register for this event via the Realm. You can also find the link on our website. If you subscribe to our emails, you'll also get an email with the link as well. Please register so that we can know how many people are coming. But this will be a parking lot worship night event. I think it will all start at 6 p.m. We're really excited about it for sure. Yeah, we have new parking lot lights, so you'll actually be able to see um, even after the sun sets and I don't know what the weather is going to be like yet that evening, but based upon the recent cooling off of everything, I would definitely suggest bringing warm apparel jackets. Yeah, that would probably be a good idea just to be on the safe side. So it's going to be a 
beautiful night of worship and prayer. So please uh, come out to that. All ladies of that go to Shades Valley, or maybe you have some friends that like to come too. That'd be awesome as well. Well, JM, that was a beautiful announcement. But if I'm going to be honest, I'm looking forward to an even more beautiful announcement because for ages now, we have been promising, as Brad says, our tens of listeners that that a studio name, an official studio name would be forthcoming. And you and we did. We did an Instagram poll, like we promised. The poll happened. Yeah. That really happened. Are you going to announce the results or are you just going <laughs> to? <laughs> you know, wait, as we- wait, before before we announce the results, can we just uh, reflect on the fact that Jonathan just said that an announcement about the studio's name is more beautiful than an announcement about women's worship night oh. where the people of God come together to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the heaviest bus that's backed over me in a long time. Wow. Well, I'm just hanging up the zoom call right now. I'm done. I'm done. I quit. Oh man! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't let it die. That's not how I I meant that. I apologize. Wow. I I retract my statement. (sighs) I mean, why did we zoom in? I don't even know where where to go from now. Just announce the studio (laughs) name. Well, the name. I am excited about it. I am excited about it. It is true that we have taken some time to reflect and pray about this name <laughs> and uh, and really just buying time is really what we've been doing the last few weeks as we've been considering what we could do that what we could name the studio so I did put out an Instagram poll we actually got a great response I didn't know that we had this many people that cared so that's encouraging um, <laughs> so uh, but there what? My wife, my wife voted, and I go, "Oh, you heard the podcast?" And she goes, "No, I didn't hear the podcast. <laughs> I just saw it on Instagram." Nobody even knows what's going on. They're like, "I don't know studio name. I guess I'll engage on Instagram. I don't know." Oh, so anyway, well, that's encouraging. Um, so Brad clearly is in an incredibly encouraging mood. Just you know, <laughs> threw me under a bus, deflated your balloon right there. Really thinking about hanging Sorry. up. I'm sorry. All right, only positivity from here on out. So here's the deal. There was an overwhelming response on the Instagram poll, really, for one of the two names, which which helped me feel good. It affirmed me because this was actually the name that I was leaning towards as well. So the new name of the studio. Are you ready? Drum roll, please. Four Streams. Yes. Four Streams Studio. Wow. There was Four much, streams. Wow. much rejoicing. So now now we will gladly accept your submissions for artwork, for logos and such. Mm-hmm. I'm just kidding. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> sure. Theme songs? But yeah, Four Streams is going to be the name of the studio. And some of you may even be I love like, it. some people may be like, where does that even come from? And so what we actually thought we'd do today, since we're, officially announcing the studio's name as four streams we thought we'd actually do an episode of shades midweek about the four streams here at shades what we mean by that language and and all that we've actually been talking about it uh a lot here recently because just this past sunday we did a root seminar root seminar is like our membership class it's where people come when they want to learn more information about shades valley or 
get their questions answered. And one of the things we talk about in the midst of that seminar um, is the four streams. So, yeah. You guys excited to do a four streams episode? I'm real pumped. I'm, I'm excited. Start us off, Jonathan. So, I, yeah, I can start us off just by kind of giving an overview of just what the language is, what it means, and then we can walk through each of the streams one at a time. So, uh, four streams is actually language that predates uh, all three of us. It was already here uh, being used when we got to Shades Valley. It's, it's something that really helped three of us, I think, to understand um, some of the ethos of Shades, the culture of Shades, the way Shades approached worship. That's that's kind of one of the main ways that we discuss the four streams. Um, and, and it became language that we all adopted and, and took on pretty quickly just because it was so helpful for us. And it's, it's become something that's really helpful in explaining uh, a lot about shades to other people. So what we mean by four streams, uh, is we are talking about the fact that shades is a very diverse body. And one of the ways that we are diverse is people come from all sorts of different backgrounds. Uh, officially we are part of the Evangelical Free Church of America. That is our denomination, the EFCA. Not a lot of people around here have heard of that because it's a very small denomination and there's not a whole lot uh, of EFCA churches in the South. Um, there are three in the entire state of Alabama. We're the only one in Birmingham. And so as a result, most people that are a part of Shades didn't grow up in the EFCA. They grew up in some other denomination, some other Christian tradition. So we've got people from... Lutheran background, Pentecostal background, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, some people who grew up Catholic. I mean, it's just kind of all over the map. Mm -hmm. And so that means that people grew up approaching gathered corporate worship in very different ways from each other. And so everybody kind of comes with different priorities about what it looks like to worship together. And somewhere along the way, Shades didn't just recognize that that was a reality, but really embraced it and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to actually try to adopt worship practices when we gather together from these different Christian traditions that all that, that help us to center on Jesus, to help us to center on the gospel and be pointed to Jesus. And so this language of four streams developed. We talk about how there are four streams of Christian tradition present at Shades Valley, not four denominations, but four streams into which every denomination fits into one or more of these things. And the, the four streams are orthodox, evangelical, liturgical, and charismatic. And part of the, the reason for calling them streams is a way of describing the way that people experience these things. So just for instance, I, I grew up in an evangelical stream. So I know the temperature of the water in the stream I grew up in. I know it's currents. I know I'm comfortable in it. I am used to swimming in that stream is kind of what that metaphorical language is supposed to convey. And when I get into somebody else's stream, or in other words, when I encounter worship practices from a different tradition, uh, it feels strange. Not used to that current. Didn't grow up swimming in that. It's kind of weird. But mm -hmm. But all, or at least weird to me, but but all four of those streams are present here, and we try to embrace um, uh, uh, practices from from all of them. So we'll talk about we value four stream unity. This is uh, this is one of the ways that we're diverse here at Shades, and yet we try to come together and be unified 
around the gospel. Anything you guys want to add to that before we dive in and try to describe and talk about each of the individual streams? Yeah, I was just going to say, when I first came to Shades, uh, I don't think I wanted there to be four streams. <laughs> I think I wanted... I think I wanted there to be one stream, and that was the liturgical stream. And part of that was just where I was at um, at the time. And so I think in Word, I would say, if someone were to ask me on the street, that I valued all these various practices of worship or these different traditions or streams of worship, if you will. Um, but when I came to Shades Valley and these different streams in their presence started having a kind of weekly um, presence in my worship that made me very uncomfortable as the word Jonathan used. And yes, and not just uncomfortable, but oh my gosh, I do not want this here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, honestly, it is only uh, by the spirit over time uh, being able to week in and week out experience these different streams of worship, these different expressions of worship, and also get to know the people in the body that are expressing these different streams uh, that I've really come to love for stream worship and have been transformed by it in many ways. And so recently someone was asking me, hey, it was an interesting question, Brad, if you weren't a pastor, what church would you go to in Birmingham? <laughs> and I was like, I would definitely not go to my own church. No, I didn't say that. Um, but one of the things that I, I that just came to the forefront of my mind was four stream worship and how unique that that is, but how um, integral it's become and how important to me it's, it's become in the local churches uh, gathering and, and expression of, of worship of Jesus Christ on Sunday. I, I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah, and one of the things that's interesting is that it, it's actually becoming more of a topic of conversation amongst people, maybe, maybe not necessarily expressed exactly as four streams, but this idea of yeah. various worship practice from different Christian traditions being important and being drawn together within our corporate gathering. There's actually been a couple of books, we were talking about one the other day, um, that have come out recently on this topic. I think we're all a little upset that we, we didn't, you know, write the book. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, but, but, it, but it's interesting because I mean, we don't get the credit of shades practicing these four streams. Like I said, this predates us all, but it's just, it's really cool that something that shades has been doing for so long, um, is now really starting to gain some traction in the wider church conversation. So, well, yeah, definitely. For us to dive in to each of these uh, streams, we'll just we'll we'll take them one at a time and kind of describe uh, what they are, um, how you can know kind of if you came from that stream, and then we can we can talk about the the way that this stream uh, influences our worship together here at Shades, and maybe some of the things that each of us enjoy from that stream, or maybe some of the things that challenge us or have challenged us, like you were talking about, Brad, in the past. And mm -hmm. before I move on. Uh, that is one of the things you're talking about how the, the four streams challenged ha, have challenged you. And I think they've challenged all of us at various points. And I think that's part of the mm. value of it. Uh, I tell people often uh, embracing the four streams forces us to practice Philippians two, to count the needs of others as more important than our own. So there may be something that we do in worship that like, 
I don't necessarily connect with or maybe I don't understand as well or, or what have not. It comes from a different stream. But it's a moment for me to humble myself and to say this is this is important to my brothers and sisters in Christ and, uh, and to, to consider their needs just as important or more important uh, than my own. So, so I love the fact that it, it forces us into a place of constantly looking towards the other as well and practicing humility towards one another. So, all right. All right. Well, let's just jump, jump right in and we'll start with the Orthodox stream, which I think for a lot of people is usually the hardest one to kind of wrap their minds around. What do we mean yeah. when we talk about the Orthodox stream? The word Orthodox literally just means right belief. Uh, it's a word that's often used to talk about the church historical. To be a part of the Orthodox church is is to emphasize being a part of the church historic. We stand in this long line of believers that have gone before us, and we still confess the historical faith that Jude 3 says was once for all delivered to the saints. So so the Orthodox stream, the way it keeps us centered on the gospel is it emphasizes confessing the gospel together as the, the church historic. Um, so, you know, sometimes we'll say that, like, if you grew up in a, a Catholic background or you grew up in, you know, um, kind of one of the Orthodox, we have some people that have come from the Orthodox church backgrounds, so like the Greek Orthodox and such before. We, we had a, a man here for a while who came out of an Egyptian Coptic Orthodox uh, background. That's cool. Um, but it, it, it's kind of confusing that we use the word orthodox stream to talk about that because we definitely have some major theological disagreements. <laughs> but both of those traditions massively emphasize their historical connection. Um, and so that's what we're talking about uh, right there. So if you grew up in one of those, then you may identify a little bit more with some of the things that come out of the orthodox stream. So at Shades, uh, what are some of the historical practices that we embrace to emphasize confessing the gospel with the church historic? Um, some things might include um, passing the peace. Uh, this is an ancient church practice. This is the way that we, that we greet each other at Shades by saying, peace of Christ be with you, and the response is, and also with you. Um, we observe some historical seasons like Lent uh, or Advent. And, and one of the ways that's uh, kind of most unique uh, to me, at least, I think, in, in that we embrace the Orthodox stream is through the arts. So throughout history, the church has confessed the gospel through the use of the arts. And when we think about the arts in, in churches, as Protestants, we normally just think about music uh, because as Protestants, we've kind of gotten away from all of the other forms of artistic expression. We're really scared that if somebody paints a picture, somebody's going to pray to it or kiss it or something yeah. like that. Right. You know, um, especially if it's a picture of John Mark, <laughs> especially. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, and, and obviously if you grew up in like a Catholic tradition or you grew up in, you know, one of the Orthodox church, I mean, artwork, sculpture, painting, sight, smell, the engagement of the senses, it's all over the place. And so we try to re-embrace that in some various ways. Uh, at, at Shades. So do you guys want to talk about maybe some of the ways that we try to incorporate that or some of the ways that have been um, particularly meaningful to you or challenging to you? I mean, personally, for me, the churches that I grew up in, we did not recognize the seasons of Lent or Advent. And so I always thought it was like, oh, that's like something that Catholics do. Like we don't, right. we don't right. do that. <laughs> I mean, that's cool that they do that. 
but you know we we do it differently but honestly after being at shade since 2013 and taking part in those seasons year after year i mean i couldn't imagine those times on the calendar any different now than the way they are now yeah and and it really especially especially advent is so special to be able to you know we have an advent wreath that we light every day leading up to advent and the devotional that we that we have here at Shades and um, it's really it really helps shape like our family life mm. and just looking forward to that season and giving that season a lot more weight to it than just being excited about Christmas Eve and right, being right, excited right. about Christmas but actually that whole season waiting for Christ yeah. and that that advent that anticipation and the building of it it just it, it it's feels a lot similar now to the way Easter always felt, which was like this, you know, waiting, you know, waiting on Christ's resurrection. Right. right and, right. and all of those things. And so, um, I, I love it. I couldn't see it any differently. It's so awesome to me to hear you describe mm. those like that because you almost describe them in the opposite way yeah. that the seasons like, like I didn't come out of a background that observed Advent or Lent either. And, and so, uh, but but it's it's kind of been opposite in my experience of it. So so I always felt like there was an anticipation involved with it. Like Christmas always felt bigger than a day, sure, because it, there was this whole season to it. But sure. you're you're a hundred percent right. The buildup was completely secular. Yeah, like you know, like it wasn't it wasn't defined around Christ at all. So it's really mm-hmm. awesome to hear the way that that affected you. Whereas like the buildup to Easter, like it only had religious meaning like it, you know yeah. there, there wasn't really a secular build up around it mm-hmm. but for me for my experience uh easter had always been just a singular day and so incorporating the season of lent actually extended easter like for me and in my mind and that was one of the ways that it, uh, it affected me i was similar to you yeah. like uh in the sense that i'd never <laughs> I don't think I'd even heard of the Catholic practices of Advent <laughs> and Lent. I think the first time I heard about Lent was I dated a Methodist girl in high school for a hot okay. minute. Yeah. And when she first said it, my mind thought when she said something about Lent, I was thinking like dryer Lent, belly button Lent. <laughs> like <laughs> I had no clue what she was talking about. Brad, what about for you? Orthodox stream. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say two things. One about, uh, the arts. Uh, a while back, I was in a sanctuary that was very similar to the, the sanctuary in the church that I grew up at. And I think I was just struck by how plain everything was. So there was no artwork on the walls. Um, I don't even know if there was a cross. There might have been one cross in the room. And that's intentional. And I think that that can communicate something valuable in its own way um, about our focus being on the priest word and on God himself. And I think there's something to be said about distraction or what have you, but um, I do think I have come to value not only the presence of art in our physical building, but also the the presence of um, the arts in our service and having people paint and i think a lot of people say oh my gosh yeah the arts are so important right but that can kind of just be i don't know they say that because they feel like maybe they have to or that's an intelligent thing to say or something (laughs) but um since uh being able to experience the arts at shades 
uh, I've, I've experienced the power that a painting can communicate. Mm. And I've seen how um, it can engage all of the senses and can speak in a way that adds to worship in a way that other elements might not be able to. The second thing I was going to say was about the uh, connection to the historical church. I've said this before at Shades, but I had a seminary professor that said that um, the scriptures are the speaking voice of God and church history is the listening ear. Mm-hmm. And that's always stayed with me. And one of the things he would point to is that there are times where the church listens rightly. Um, there are times where the church listens wrongly, but there are times where the church empire, empowered by the spirit speaks truth and goodness and beauty about God and how we're supposed to respond and, and worship to him. And so I think that influences our service in so many different ways from uh, pulling uh, prayers from the past, uh, from really seeing church history as a play, a, a resource, a place where we can go and we can mine uh, so many good things that we can bring forward for today. Um, that give us language. We don't always need to do something new. We don't always need to write something new. There can be beautiful things communicated when we when we pull from the past. And so I think that uh, has an influence on every part of our service, even the sermon. So I know yeah. both Jonathan and I will read not just modern commentators, but we go back and read the early church fathers. We go back and read... Um, Ref- uh, Reformation theologians will read Puritans. I mean, we're interacting through the church throughout history and letting their voice and their interpretation of scripture speak to us. So those two things, the arts and their presence and that actually being something valuable, not something with the same word. And then a real connection to the, the church historical and shaping how we interpret the Bible and how we worship Jesus is having real value. Yeah. I, I think that any, any time we ignore church history, we're, we're kind of behaving like that teenager whose parents are like, hey, listen, I'm trying to prevent you from making the same mistakes that I've made. And we're like, whatever, mom and dad, I can do this on my own. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, like, exactly. like you're not learning from the wisdom of those who've gone before you. So if I may, yeah. if I may uh, go back and plug the arts ministry real quick here at Shades, yeah, if that's absolutely. all right. <clears throat> I, I was going to say, yeah. um, Brad mentioned people painting and service and I, I don't I'm, you know I'm, I'm assuming right here that we get a large listenership beyond uh, Shades Valley <laughs> but if anybody doesn't <laughs> know uh, occasionally we do have like an artist that'll sit uh, like on the stage like to the side that we, they will have been given the passage that's going to be preached on and the songs are going to focus uh, themes thematically around and, and they will paint uh basically kind of what what the Lord has inspired them to paint based off their reflection on that passage. And it just becomes another way of engaging the truth of, of scripture. So yeah, JM, tell, tell us a little bit more about like how people could participate in that ministry. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, Amy Ross, if you've never met Amy Ross, she is over the arts ministry here and, um, her and I work closely together on just helping help her facilitate uh, a lot of those things. So we've done some art events here actually in the past, the past few years, we had some art installation nights that we did that were awesome. Uh, 
right now during the coronavirus, it's been much different. We haven't had that same participation on Sunday mornings, although I can imagine we'll be bringing bring that type of thing back soon. But uh, yeah, so if you're interested, just just email me, Mark at shadesvalley.org. If you paint, if you draw, uh, calligraphy, sculpt, sculpting, pottery, whatever it is, you know, mi- mixed media arts, whatever it is, just email me and, and we would love to have you involved. We love... We love having members and non-members, people that uh, attend Shades, to um, express uh, their gifting in that way as a gift to the body and to God. And so um, we we really feel strongly about using our gifts and talents uh, here at Shades. So yeah, please please email me. Let me know. We'd love to love to have a conversation, get you involved. Yeah, and I mean, if you're an artist through words like poetry, spoken yeah, words, absolutely. It, dance yep uh, all of those things have have been uh used in worshipful expression in one way or another um here at shades so awesome so hopefully that gives you a little bit of idea of what we're talking about with the orthodox stream so second uh comes the evangelical stream and the evangelical stream uh emphasizes the proclamation of of the word of God. I jokingly tell people that if you grew up in a church where the pulpit was the largest piece of furniture in the room and it was dead center, then you grew up in the evangelical stream. And, and, and the reason for that is it's emphasizing the centrality of the word of God and the centrality of the word of God proclaimed. So we, we talk about how the evangelical stream, the way it helps keep us centered on the gospel is through the preaching of the word and the preaching of the gospel. So, so it shades the primary way that we embrace the evangelical stream in our worship is through the way that we approach our time in the word. Uh, our pulpit is obviously it's not the largest piece of furniture in the room, nor is it in the center. But even that is meant to say something uh, not about the centrality of the word, but about the preacher themselves. Our, our pulpit isn't in the center because the preacher is not the center. Uh, the preacher doesn't take center stage, no matter who it is. Uh, they stand to the side, and, and they're supposed to, through the word, point to the one who does take center stage, which is Christ. Uh, at the center of our room is the table and the cross. We'll talk more about the table in a minute, but those are the, the two things in our room that most explicitly point to Christ and to the gospel. Um, but just because the, the pulpit isn't large and central, that doesn't mean that the preached word isn't central to our worship at Shades. It is the, it's, it's the heart of our worship, in the, not separate from our worship. Uh, it, it's the heartbeat, if you will, in the sense that it, it kind of pumps the life blood into everything else that we, we do. Like without the word, we've got nothing to sing. Without the word, we've got nothing to pray. Without the word, we don't even know what communion's about. So like this, this helps keep... Uh, uh, centered on the gospel. And uh, so, yeah, so the preached word is really at, at the heart of, of what we do um, at Shades. So you guys want to offer your thoughts on the evangelical stream in worship at Shades? One thing I wanted to say, and Brad mentioned this at the Roots Seminar on Sunday, and if we need to cut this out, we can. <laughs> but uh, when, I mean, Brad mentioned it, so it's pro- it probably needs to be cut. But when we say the word well, evangelical, when we say the word evangelical, um, in 2020, that seems to get may, maybe there's been some bad press. Whatever could you mean, John Mark? I'm not familiar with <laughs> yeah. this bad press you speak of. Could we? Could could one of you maybe expel 
some of that bad press as to, I guess, the, the terminology with that word and what it carries and maybe what it actually means? I mean, I think obviously you did a great job describing that stream, but. Oh, no, for sure. Like, I mean, I think we all know that the negative press it carries is everybody immediately associates. I mean, it's become a political term. Right. right. Everybody immediately associates it with like uh, re- Republicanism only and, and super conservative and um, and that you vote for a particular candidate like it. So if you're a part of an evangelical church, then it means all of that. And and that's not what that word's supposed to mean at all. Brad, you want to give the summary you gave um, at the Root Seminar of what it means, what evangelical is about? Yeah, sure. At the uh, Root Seminar, I quoted Thomas Kidd that just wrote a book you could check it out called what is an evangelical and in it his definition this isn't exact but he essentially says that um, evangelicals are born-again protestants that have a high view of scripture that believe scripture is authoritative as the word of God and believe in a personal relationship with Jesus and I think his definition is helpful at getting at some big components of who evangelicals are one being conversion. Um, evangelicals are Christians who believe that you become a Christian or you become a disciple of Jesus, not because your parents were, or that you were born into a certain country or be, or because you're a certain race or, race or ethnicity, but rather because in space and time, Jesus Christ has brought you from death to life. And that's made visible by the person repenting of their sin and putting their trust in Jesus. Now, for some people, it may be this big moment they can point to. For other people that maybe grew up in the church, they talk about it more as a process. But nonetheless, evangelicals will acknowledge that at some point there is a conversion, that God did something in the hearts to um, awaken someone from death on their own to life in Jesus Christ. And then the second piece is is a high view of scripture that Kid talks about And that is simply that evangelicals believe that the Bible is the word of God, that it's authoritative. And as one professor I had would say, you know, they submit to everything from Genesis to the maps and put themselves under the word rather than maybe in some veins of Christianity. You see the scriptures talked about as more of a conversation partner. Maybe they would say that the scriptures are filled with error or that um, they were written at a certain time. So therefore certain things need to be dismissed. So, in that sense, scripture becomes more of a conversation piece. So evangelicals are those that said, no, we believe that scripture is true, that it is the word of God, that it can be trusted, that it's authoritative, and that we're, we are to submit our lives to it. The last thing I'll say the kid didn't point out was that evangelicals were really those that were trying to form a middle way. Well, what was that middle path between? It was between what you call liberal Christianity and fundamentalism. So liberal Christianity is characterized by low view of scripture. Um, uh, Sometimes they'll believe that miracles have been disproved by science. um, And there are other characteristics that I won't go into, but evangelicals with a high view of the Bible said, no, that's not us. Fundamentalists uh, had a high view of scripture, but didn't want anything to do with culture. Uh, Critical of everything in culture. We need to remove ourselves from culture. Well, liberal Christianity tended to say, hey, we should embrace everything in culture. So evangelicals are those that said, hey, we want to interact with culture. We see a lot of good in culture. We want to cultivate um, the good that we see, and yet we still want to enter the public sphere with convictions. But when we do so, we want to do so charitably. 
and with love. And so evangelicalism kind of formed as this middle path between the two that for me is a very attractive option. Um, but like we said, because of bad PR, there can be a lot of other associations and people can get a bad feeling in their gut when they hear the word evangelical. So I just talked way too long and we may need to cut that out. No, 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 no. I, that was I, great. I, no, I think you keep it. I think, I think that was great. And I think from everything you said, Brad, like it, it just, it affirms why uh, the preached word is so central here. I mean, if, if the word is your ultimate authority and you believe that people actually have to come to faith in Jesus Christ through hearing the gospel, then this obviously, you know, puts the preached word at the center of, of what you do. One, one of the other things I'll mention very briefly as to how we embrace this in our approach to preaching and teaching at Shades is that we uh, typically, our most stereotypical way of approaching our time in the word at Shades is through what we would call uh, lectio continua and what we would call uh, expositional preaching. Lectio continua means that most often we work our way straight through books of the Bible. So right now we're doing a series through the book of Revelation and we're just marching our way straight through. We're not kind of jumping all over the place um, uh, each week. And not that we don't think that there are times where we should interrupt, you know, our, our regularly scheduled program as it were um, <laughs> for a special message, <laughs> but we're not going to let the weekly news determine what we're talking about. We're not going to let just how I'm feeling or how whoever's preaching is feeling determine what we're talking about. We're going to put the word of God at the center and say, God, we trust you that you've given us what you've needed in, in your word and you're going to give it to us at the right time. And it's, it's been mind blowing to me in uh, over the years here at Shades to see how doing that just will bring the right word at the right time. Um, and, and yeah, so th- that's one thing we do, and then the, the other I said was expositional preaching, which uh, the easiest thing is to contrast it with topical preaching. Uh, topical preaching, which is not always bad and not always done in a bad way, and we do some of that too at Shades, but there are a lot of places that do that um, in ways that I would say aren't necessarily faithful to Scripture and where it's their main diet. And what I mean by that is they just kind of pick topics to talk about, usually hot topics that maybe will attract people or kind of more like, it's almost like a Christianity's version of life hacks. You know, here's, (laughs) here's how to balance your checkbook. Yeah. Here's my five tips for parenting. And, and so you start with a topic and then you just kind of search for whatever verses, you know, you can find like the Bible's almost like this treasure chest of like, I can just go pick out a couple of verses here and there to support what I already wanted to say. Versus expositional preaching starts with the scripture. It starts with the Bible, with the text, and it and it asks the question like, "What is Scripture saying?" And that's going to be the controlling factor of what we say and what we preach. We want the Word of God proclaimed. It's not Jonathan or any preacher's soapbox hour. You know, it's 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 the time for for Scripture to be proclaimed. So. Yeah, so now that I added to that, well, we thoroughly have talked about the evangelical stream too much. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say what I was just gonna say one more thing, so I think this is important. I hate to admit this. We're, we're gonna we're gonna retitle this. This is no longer this is no longer the four streams episode, it's the evangelical stream episode. No. I'll be real quick. No, I was just gonna say, I mean, Jonathan, I think you've been someone that's modeled to me how to do topical preaching in an expository way. Ah, <laughs> and that man. is Whatever, whatever uh, topic you're talking about, whether that's anger, whether that's anxiety, whether it's depression, whatever it is, I know that when you walk through the text, um, that what you're speaking about, you're not projecting onto the text, but rather the text itself 
brings out these things. Mm. And so you're letting the text speak to these topics rather than coming with like, okay, well, I already know what I want to say about anger or I already know what I want to say about anxiety. And so that, I mean, has been very uh, influential to me as a pastor, but also as a, a member and has been very powerful in my own life. So I did want to speak to that. One more thing. Uh, I was just going to say, one of the things that I've loved in worship planning is that Jonathan or myself, whoever is preaching, always reads the text. And then we talk about the songs. We talk about the prayers. We talk about the flow of the service. So that the text really does shape our service as a whole. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> no, no, yeah, that's 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 true. Um, and yeah, it's been... It's been good. It's been refreshing for me um, that we approach uh, worship planning that way versus kind of, you know, starting with what cool thing can we do this week that's going to leave everybody walking away from the service talking about that cool thing. Like it's no like what is the truth yes. of the word of God for the people of God and and what songs can we sing, what prayers can we pray that just reinforce that truth so that we leave um, with deeper love for Christ and deeper confidence in the truth of God's word. So, all right, we are officially moving on <laughs> from the evangelical stream to stream number three, which is the liturgical stream. Oh, yeah, Brad's pumped about this one. Yeah, yeah, he is. So, uh, oh, yeah. So, I, I mentioned that I grew up really in the evangelical stream, and Brad did too, for the most part. We both grew up in Baptist uh, yes. churches, but Brad, uh, well, I should say this Brad and I both went to Beeson Divinity School. And Beeson does a really great job of giving you an appreciation of all the varying Protestant traditions of all denominations. But we would be uh, not, it would be correct. Brad, would it be correct to say that uh, it really tries hard, um, maybe through no fault of its own, but just just because of its emphasis on, on church history and such, it really causes people to often drink deeply from the liturgical stream. Yes, I have drunken, one could say. <laughs> and, and it definitely, like my time through Beeson, gave me an appreciation for the liturgical stream, uh, but but Brad definitely drunk deeply from it to the point that that even though he grew up in kind of more of the evangelical stream, he is he is our liturgical voice often um, in our, our worship planning yeah. meetings. So just to describe the stream really quickly, the liturgical stream emphasizes participation of the congregation in celebrating the gospel. So this is how it keeps us centered on the gospel is through it, it, the liturgical stream keeps us celebrating the gospel together. So we, um, the word liturgy literally means the work of the people. So thus in the liturgical stream, worship is normally full of things that involve the people. So like corporate readings and corporate prayers, um, maybe starting with a call to worship or ending with a benediction. Um, but, but the high point of participation is, in the liturgical stream is the table. So I'll jokingly say that if you grew up in a church where the table was the largest piece of furniture in the room and it was in the dead center, then you grew up in a liturgical stream and you likely grew up observing the table every single week versus like myself. I mean, we observe the table like once a quarter, maybe. Um, so for the liturgical stream, like it's all about that participation of the entire body and, and the table is really the the high point of that. And so for us at Shades, I mean, it really is through the table that we, that's like our, our anchor point, our main way that we embrace the liturgical stream. We, we observe the table 
every week, and it is it's right. That table is in the center of our room, pointing us to the gospel. This is this is us being brought together to celebrate the gospel together. So, so whereas there are certain traditions that kind of emphasize word over table, and there are other traditions that maybe emphasize table over word, we try to hold together at the heartbeat of our worship is word and table. I I tell our worship planning team all the time. Word and table, that's what we start with. Everything else is movable, optional, optional, shapeable. Um, but this is this is what anchors us. And so, um, so yeah, Brad, you want to talk a little bit about the liturgical stream at Shades? Oof, yeah. Um, you know, I was trying to think of my own experience, and I, I think one of the reasons that the, the liturgical stream resonated with me during my seminary days it wasn't just because I was a punk seminary student, although I definitely was. Um, but because I had just come out of a church environment where uh, it was kind of what you said earlier, Jonathan, where everyone would get together and say, okay, what's the big thing we're going to do this Sunday? Um, how are we going to blow everyone's mind? How are we going to be uh, relevant and speak to people? So like, how can we incorporate some type of like, I don't know, TV show or a meme or something that's happening in culture. And by doing that and by uh, presenting that to people, you know, they're going to experience God in a new way and something awesome is really going to happen. And I think I was just burned out from that. I don't want to, I'm speaking of it very negatively. I don't want to speak about it too negatively, but I was just very burned out from it. And so there was something that was so refreshing coming to Beeson and realizing, oh, um, everyone has a liturgy, every background, every tradition. So if liturgy, it just means work of the people, then you can say that every tradition throughout time has formulated its own language, has come up with its own words to express worship to God mm-hmm. and to uh, walk through a service. So, for instance, uh, we were all at a church together. Uh, we were in a, a conference, and the worship pastor said, hey, one of the things that we – I can't remember the name of the church, but it's like, you know, one of the things we say at High Grove or something is, <laughs> you know, when you're here, you're family. And then that was the way that they introduced welcoming one another. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, the traditional way that the church is welcoming one another is by – passing the peace of Christ. This has been done throughout church history. And so their liturgy, I'm not saying this is a good or bad thing, just trying to get to see that everyone has a liturgy, mm-hmm. um, was to say that. And they did each Sunday. Or when someone starts off a service, um, if the worship leader gets up and goes, all right, good every, good morning, everybody. Everybody get off your seat. We're going to give it all to Jesus this morning. Once again, I'm saying this in kind of a sarcastic way. I'm not trying to be negative towards that at all. I'm just saying, like, oh, the language you, you've is made it clear. You've over. made it clear from the opening of this podcast <laughs> that you're in a negative mode, Brad. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, so, anyway, I just say that to point out that everyone has a liturgy, and so I'm just thinking about this. So, Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, one of the ways that the liturgical stream takes shape in our service is by us saying that our liturgical stream, um, in some ways it's going to be connected to the Orthodox stream. Meaning that's wrong. That's completely wrong. I just want to throw you under the bus so hard right now. No, no. Yeah. There is a ton of cross pollination between the, because I mean, the the liturgical stream, a lot of its practices come out of church history. 
Yeah. And so like, for instance, we start each uh, service with a call to worship and that's each week. Um, or we'll have a confession and then assurance of pardon. Um, or someone will get up and they'll read a prayer or we'll all recite a creed together. And the last thing I'll say is one of the reasons this is so powerful to me is because I've found as I get older, often in my Christian faith, I don't have words to bring before God. I don't have language to express how I feel. And so there is something that is comforting and there is something that's encouraging to my faith when, as a part of the church body, words are given to me. Um, words that, yes, uh, Scripture would affirm and say are true, but nonetheless are words that are written by God's people and put on my mouth. And in so doing, there are feelings, there are emotions, there are expressions that I couldn't articulate myself, but rather I needed someone to do for me. And then their words become my words, and there's this unity. And so that's been a very powerful yeah. component of the liturgical stream in worship for me. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's important to point out that, you know, there's liturgy in Scripture. Like, there was liturgy to uh, uh, yes. Old Testament Jewish worship. There's liturgy mm-hmm. to the New Testament synagogue worship. And Jesus himself, you know, uh, puts into place what we would call certain liturgical practices. I mean, we get uh, communion, obviously, directly from Christ. But even things like when the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives them a prayer yeah. to pray, and he puts words on their lips to, to teach us what prayer looks like. And and there's something powerful to this day about praying those words of the Lord's Prayer that that have been prayed from the inception of the church, you know, and, and, and for us to, to come in line with those those words as we pray and, and ex- to express our hearts uh, to the to the Lord. So, so liturgy and, and embracing it, you know, is... Uh, is a thoroughly biblical practice is what I was trying to say. If I may, yeah. if, if I may promote a book that I bought recently called every moment holy. And it is a book of prayers of liturgies that, um, I forget, oh, yeah. I forget who wrote all of them. Uh, but, uh, I've been using that book almost every day because it has different, uh, subjects for which you can read a prayer, read a liturgy. So you could sit down in the morning with your cup of coffee and read a liturgy while you're drinking your cup of coffee about, it's called the ritual of morning coffee. <laughs> nice. And, and, but, but, but like Brad was saying, it gives you words for which you sometimes don't have. There's yeah. a, there's a liturgy for changing diapers. Oh. There's a, there's a litur- there's a liturgy for window washing. I, I, I need that. I need that liturgy. Yeah, exactly. So um, I just wanted to to throw yeah. that out there, and I've I've really enjoyed that just in my own personal life. So. Right. Well, I th- I think yeah. just to kind of wrap up and 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 lead us into the the final stream here, um, something that's been helpful for me that I think goes with what both of you guys just pointed out, um, is the way that C.S. Lewis, uh, or at least one of the ways that he talked about liturgy, and he compared it to a dance, um, like uh, say you know. Of a formal dance, like a waltz or swing dancing or, or something like, like like a learned dance. He's like, you know, when when you first are learning a dance and learning the steps, you have to think about every step, um, and it's hard, and you feel clumsy or whatever, and it can be like, man, I, don't, I just want to do what I want to do, you know, kind of thing to the music. But he's like, no, in, in learning the steps, you actually reach this point where you know the dance, and you no longer think about that 
and and when your partner knows the dance, you're just able just to dance and and be in the freedom of that moment, enjoying each other. And he talks about that being the purpose of a structure of liturgy in worship is it's not to be rigid and overly formal, but when you know it, that actually frees you to be fully present and free in in the moment. And that was a that was because I think people often think of liturgy as very restricting. Right. And that was actually a, a really good way uh, of reframing things for me. Not to say that there is no place for what we might call not learned steps of a dance, but uh, improvisational dance uh, in, in, in uh-huh. worship. There, there uh-huh. is place for that, too. I see what you're doing. You see, you'll see what I'm doing here. Improv. And that's where we get to our, our last stream. Um, the fourth stream. The stream that makes the most people uncomfortable. <laughs> The charismatic stream, uh, yeah, the, the the charismatic stream. Um, so if you came from you know a, a Pentecostal denomination, um, you definitely grew up in the charismatic stream. Um, but uh, even some other denominations and other churches will have more charismatic expressions. So just kind of give uh, a little bit of a summary here. Uh, the charismatic stream. Uh, keeps us centered on the gospel because it keeps us bearing witness to the gospel. What I mean by that is that the charismatic stream emphasizes the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in worship for magnifying Jesus. The Spirit is present, and through um, His power, through His giftings, through His uh, through through all of the ways that He works, He magnifies, he empowers us to glorify Jesus, to bear witness to the gospel. So the charismatic stream emphasizes how the spirit freely works. That's, you know, improvisational here. Um, How he freely works in a variety of ways uh, through people in the body to bear witness to the gospel. So so it shades some ways that we embrace this freedom um, is in a a couple of different things. Uh, We don't give a ton of instructions for when to stand in our service, when to sit. I mean, sometimes we do, but but often throughout our service, you'll find people standing, people sitting, people uh, feeling the freedom to be expressive, people feeling the freedom to be more reserved, um, feeling the freedom to wave a flag. Um, we uh, yeah. one of the first things people often notice. It's it's conspicuously absent right now during the COVID season, but. Uh, we have a we have on the back wall of our sanctuary. Uh, there are these flags, and um, people can use them in worship. Can can literally wave a flag, and that comes out of uh, some different charismatic traditions where they use flags or instruments like tambourines and things like that to be expressive in worship. One of the unique things uh, about shades is that's actually the flags specifically have become a way that our kids really participate. Uh, in worship, the, a lot of our kids love to grab a flag and to wave it as we as we sing uh, during worship. So that's that's become a, a cool thing. But that comes out of a charismatic background. But but really, the the largest representation of the charismatic stream uh, in our sanctuary is the fact that we have a microphone that stays up near the pulpit area, and it's always open. It's an open mic. Uh, all throughout our worship, that mic is always open as a reminder that the Spirit can lead anyone in our body to pray for the body, to share a word of encouragement or a word of testimony. I mean, th- th- this is the way that the Spirit is working through our body to help us all to bear witness to the gospel, keep us centered on the gospel. Um, so, yeah, so uh, that that microphone um, kind of stands symbolically 
as as a symbol that we are open to whatever the Spirit may uh, lead us to do in the midst of worship. And and that's something that throughout Scripture has been important. It's been important throughout Scripture uh, for testimony from the people of God to be a part of the worship of God. Uh, when you would give in the Old Testament, if you brought an offering that was an offering of thanksgiving, when that offering was offered uh, on the altar, uh, you would actually stand by the altar and bear witness to and testify about why you were giving thanks. It was a part of worship. So we've tried to reincorporate uh, people bearing witness, people offering words of testimony uh, as a, a regular part of our worship. That happened just this past Sunday. Uh, just this past Sunday at the end of the service, we had three different individuals um, come up who, who felt like the Lord was leading them to, uh, one, to pray for the body, one, to share scripture with the body, one, to uh, bear testimony about something uh, that they felt like the Lord was leading them to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of that was planned. It's just the, the spirit at work. And so they stepped forward to that microphone and and did that. So, so yeah, so these are some of the ways we try to embrace the charismatic stream uh, at Shades. And John Mark grew up, um, we mentioned what Brad and I kind of grew up in, but John Mark definitely grew up out of the three of us in way deeper charismatic <laughs> waters. Yes, um, this is true. Yes, I swim deep in those waters. Um, <laughs> so maybe maybe say how this affects the way you lead worship at Shades that people would know, because like, we don't publish a, a, an order of worship, so people yeah. may not know how much the charismatic stream actually affects the way you lead worship. Yeah, 100%. Um, Like Brad was saying earlier, worship planning, we obviously get together every week. We talk through what the service is going to look like. We talk through the flow. We Jonathan uh, gives us his thoughts and his themes on what the message, what the sermon is going to look like, kind of what direction we're going in. We discuss specific songs that we would like to have in that in that time. Um, But then there's also things that happen. So like on a Sunday morning, I may, for example, I may be uh, sitting there listening to Jonathan speak and uh, the spirit prompts something and a song or a chorus or a tag comes to mind that I think, you know, this could work really well in this spot that was totally unplanned um, and not on the set list before. And sometimes I don't even communicate that with the band. Uh, (laughs) And I kind of leave them high and dry to just, (laughs) you know, to follow me in some of those moments. So I think it shows up there. I think it shows up um, in the back half of worship, having an open microphone like that. I think it allows for space in the worship set in the back for us to not uh, go through the set list very formulaic, but to actually leave space in between songs for the spirit to move, for the spirit to speak uh, to those within the body and lead them to, you know, bear witness uh, to the to the gospel in that way. So I think th- those are some ways where that where that shows up. It it may show up when I'm leading a song. You know, like this past Sunday we did. Uh, did you feel the mountains tremble? And I just felt like the spirit was prompting me to you know uh, sing about things that we could uh, figuratively dance over. We could dance, you know, dance over injustice. It's a lyric within the song, but there are other things we could dance over addiction. We could dance over our depression um, in ways that, you know, that the Lord has empowered us to, to do those things. And so I think those are, those are definitely some examples. Um, body life, uh, which is a service that we do here a couple of times a year. Um, that, that is definitely a more charismatic 
service because we don't plan any of it. We literally, <laughs> I mean, we have songs. I mean, we have songs and we know that there's going to be a period of 30 to 40 minutes in the service where there's an open mic, but uh, people come up and share right there in the moment. And um, that is just uh, proof of the spirits working and moving um, at Shades. Yeah, yeah, those body life services John Mark's talking about, um, we basically, one of us, one of the pastors will share a brief passage of scripture, a couple of thoughts, but then instead of having an extended time of proclamation where we uh, have a sermon, we just, like you said, open up the microphone, it's open mic testimony. Um, and I think one of the things that I think is really important about that body life service is it, it helps to keep this stream vibrant because mm-hmm. we'll have a lot of people come in who don't come from a charismatic background at all. And body life is a way of them seeing it modeled, like how you can uh, do testimonies in the midst of a service and giving them a, a, an encouraging chance to participate in that. And I think that that body life really uh, fosters, um, yeah, that, that in, it fosters that stream so that it continues to express itself through all of our other services. Yeah. One, one other thing mm-hmm. I wanted to, one other thing I wanted to mention too, uh, is that kind of like with the, with the evangelical conversation we had earlier with the charismatic conversation, I do feel like, and we don't have to spend much time on this at all. I know we need to wrap up here, but, uh, I do think that there are some poor examples, uh, if I may say. What are you talking <laughs> about, John Mark? Of the charismatic stream. Uh, for example, y- you may turn on the television. First Corinthians? <laughs> well, yeah. You could just go to the Bible. Um, I, I, in modern times, I'm thinking of turning on the television and maybe seeing a televangelist um, that uh, – is sort of you could maybe say like abusing some of the gifts of the spirit in a way that um, is unhealthy and not helpful. Um, and I think that ki- the charismatic stream is so much more uh, than just you know someone speaking in tongues or it, I, I think what it is, a part of it is it could be as simple as, you see your friend over there and you know that they're going through something and the spirit prompts you to pray for them. I mean, that, that in itself is, is the spirit working and moving. It doesn't have to be this big showy thing that is very foreign and scary to some people that have never experienced that. It literally is just, I feel like the Lord uh, just wanted me to encourage you today. I mean, it, it literally could be just something like that. You right. know? Yeah, no, for sure. Mm. Brad, yeah. you got any thoughts? Yeah. So I would, I will just very quickly say that uh, my calloused heart towards the charismatics <laughs> was very was was quickly warmed by um, just being a part of the body at Shades. And by actually getting to know some charismatics. <laughs> by actually getting to know the people, which was a lot more work than I was originally thinking, but well worth it. Um, to actually listen to somebody else, consider their point of view, not just tweet angrily. I don't like it, but you know, I, I did it. It's changed. So it's a uh, novel no, concept in 2020. One, one of the things, one of the things that has, has struck me by uh, those at Shades that come from a more charismatic background and maybe represent that stream at, at the church is um, an awareness that they are there on Sunday morning to build others up in the faith. Mm. So yeah. I think 
you know, so many of us operate with the mentality of what am I going to get out of Sunday morning? What am I going to get out of the sermon? What am I going to get out of worship? And I was just struck by how week in and week out, um, I would see these members walking around the body. And, and you know, you briefly mentioned JM, but, but saying, I feel like the Lord is, has led me to pray for you. And to be honest, at first, I think I would kind of roll my eyes at that and be like, okay, sure, whatever. I think you might have just had something funny for breakfast, you know, let's not get out of hand. <laughs> Um, but I mean, to, to cite a recent example, uh, Jeff Stalkup, uh, said that he had a vision, uh, of my wife and I, of Jordan and I, and he said the, the vision was that we were standing in a room and there was one door and Jordan takes the first step and opens the door. And then her and I are both standing in a room and there's just endless doors. Mm. And that vision so powerfully spoke to our present moment that I'm starting to tear up just thinking about it. Um, but the Lord just so graciously visited me through um, Jeff's words. And I've had so many moments like that, that I can't even begin to articulate. The last thing I'll say that you, say that you both have mentioned, but I, I think is important is it's hard to express um, the freedom it is to have freedom in worship. So I came both from my Southern Baptist upbringing to a church that I was at that, once again, this is going to sound negative. Here I go. But, you know, it was it, well, we should, you should end the way you began. You really should. <laughs> trying to be a concert, for lack of a better word, is there is no change from the plan. We do not deviate. And if you do deviate, then we're probably going to have some sort of conversation about it the next week <laughs> because you went off script. But, Jonathan, the, the illustration that you gave was so beautiful about having the dance steps, right? But then when you know the dance steps, you can then begin to uh, make your own moves off of it. And then there's something that's really beautiful about that. I've also heard someone talk about it like stand-up comedy before. Most stand-up comics will have a manuscript that they write, but then they don't just stay on that manuscript. In the moment, they go off the manuscript. And at times, it's some of their best stuff that they weren't even intending to say. And so I think, I mean, this really involves all the streams, but I think the, the, the uh, charismatic stream and the liturgical stream coming together and being rooted in the scriptures, which we could say is the evangelical stream, yeah. is so powerful because the charismatic stream emphasizes the moment and spontaneity, and the liturgical stream emphasizes written prayers, and the orthodox streams uh, emphasizes all of that being influenced by church history. Mm -hmm. And then the evangelical stream says, hey, all of this needs to be rooted and grounded in scripture. Yeah. I'll never forget one pastor told me if a preacher does not preach from the word of God, he will just sound like an echo chamber and he will just start preaching the same sermons every Sunday. And I kind of think that's true for the service as a whole. Mm -hmm. I mean, if the leadership is not rooting themselves in the scriptures, I think the service as a whole is going to lose any life. And that can happen in any tradition. Um, so the, all of these streams coming together and influence one another and all having a place, I, I think is, is so powerful and so beautifully expresses uh, the wild, untamed work of the Spirit across the people of God. And so if you're someone at Shades and you come from a charismatic background or you come from a liturgical background, or evangelical background, combination, whatever, be that. Come in and be that, no matter how weird it is. You come with that, but then also come with open hands. 
willing to learn from others and something will be formed and created in you that you could never imagine and you won't be able to go back. <laughs> that's what's happened to me. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful testimony and description of just what we mean when we say that we value four stream unity. I really do. Mm, yes. So, yes. well guys, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I was going to say, I'm super encouraged right now. I really am. This has been awesome. I, I would actually, I, yeah. Maybe maybe I could just pray, and we could just end the episode that way. I was feeling like we could just pray real quick. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, Not shocked. I'll say that, but I love it. It's beautiful. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pray, and then we'll end this episode. All right. Uh, Father, we just, we just thank you for this time that we've shared together. We um, are so blessed by the freedom uh, and the grace that you have poured out on our lives and here at Shades Valley Community Church. We thank you uh, for all the different varieties and streams that members and non-members, people that attend Shades, that they bring into this building uh, to create such a beautiful kaleidoscope of 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 you, Father God, and uh, the way in which uh, you love your people and how um, we can express uh, that love and light to one another. And I just ask that um, as the leadership of Shades and the elders here, that we would continue to wholly embrace these four streams and the diversity uh, of worship that that includes. And we just thank you uh, for the opportunity to just worship you in the way that we do. We thank you that we can gather uh, during this season and uh, just glorify you and point everything to Christ. So we thank you. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. Well, this has been another episode of Shades Midweek, and uh, we will.